The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. So if you want to, um, go ahead and open up your outline. I'm going to read a portion of the Bible um, that is in chapter John, the Gospel of John. And we're going to start at the sentence marked number four of chapter four. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't go thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you have five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has become when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Well, they did a study on men, and they found that single men will underrate themselves in terms of how good looking they are. So let's say this is a single man. Let's say he's 7 out of 10, above average in looks. If you were to ask him, he would say he's a 3 out of 10, because single men will underrate themselves. But the study found married men will overrate themselves in terms of how good-looking they are. 
So let's say this is a married man. Let's say he's a 3 out of 10. If you would ask him, he would say he's a 10, an 11 even. Well, why is this? Because they found the married man has a wife who loves him. And so in his mind, he's thinking, well, she must love me for my looks. I must be a 10. See, it makes a difference if we are somebody. If we're loved by someone, if we're appreciated by someone, and if we're valued by someone. In other words, it makes a difference if we are somebody to someone. And so the question we ask ourselves is this. Well, am I? Am I somebody to someone? Welcome again to our forum. In the month of May, we're doing a four-talk series on life. And we're looking at the four big questions that we ask about life. Well, am I making a difference? Am I somebody to someone? Am I having fun along the way? And will I be remembered? And we use these questions to measure our life. If we can say yes to these questions, we say our life is significant, worthwhile and of value. And so in this series, this month, we'll look at each of these questions and see what the Bible has to say about these questions. And it'll come in the form of a 20-minute talk by me now, followed by about 10 minutes of question and answer. And today is week two, talk two. And our question is, am I somebody to someone? Well, what does it mean to be somebody to someone? Well, I'm going to define being somebody to someone as this. It's to have a relationship with someone where not only do we love that person, but that person loves us back. They value us, they miss us when we're not there, and they appreciate us when we are there. And in doing so, we are somebody to that person. Our life is significant, valuable, and worthwhile to that person. So our question is, am I somebody to someone? And my talk will have three parts. In the first part, we'll look at, well, why? Why do we want to be somebody to someone? Middle part of the talk, problems with being somebody to someone. And finally, in the final part, what the Bible might have to say about being somebody to someone. So speaking with the first part, why? Why do, we want, why do we want to be somebody to someone? And here I've just got one thing to say. Why? Well, it's nice to know we bring something to a relationship. It's nice to know we bring something to a relationship. A few months ago, I went on a work conference to the, to the USA and I went with some work friends from Australia. And we went there without our wives. And we were all saying how good it was to travel without our wives. We were saying things like, dude, it only took me five minutes to get ready for the airport. If my wife was here, it would have taken us hours. And look how little I packed. All I needed was a little bag. If my wife was here, we would have overpacked. And I can wear whatever I want. If my wife was here, she would have been like, oh, what's the weather going to be like? Will it be hot? Will it be cold? Will I need a cardigan? Make sure you pack something warm. But when we got to the USA, after only one day, we were saying to each other, dude, it's colder than I thought it was going to be here. <laughs> Did you pack a long sleeve? No. Well, I'm cold. And so we had to go shopping for the warm clothes we didn't pack. It only took us one day to realise how much we missed our wives. And that's because our wives are valuable to us. Our wives bring something to the relationship. Well, what is it that our wives bring to the relationship? Well, C.S. Lewis calls it gift love. According to C.S. Lewis, gift love longs to serve or even suffer for someone. Gift love longs to give the other person happiness 
comfort and protection. And examples of gift love would be a mother gives birth, gives milk, gives warmth to her baby. A teacher gives wisdom, gives insight, gives mentorship to a student. A husband gives intimacy, gives companionship, gives security to his wife. And so when we love someone, we have something which we give, which we bring to the relationship. And because of that, we're valued, we're appreciated, and we're missed when we're not there. We are somebody to that someone because we can give something, bring something to the relationship. Now, I often wonder what my wife sees in me. So here's a selfie, and as you can see, she's charming, she's witty, she's beautiful, and I'm, well, I'm loud, boring, and annoying. So what can I possibly bring to the relationship? Well, here's the thing. This is what I bring. Cockroaches. My wife can't kill cockroaches, but I can. And so I am somebody to her. What I bring to the relationship is I kill the cockroaches. And so because of that, she values me. She misses me when I'm not there, and she certainly appreciates it when I am there. And so we all want to think that we have something which we can give, which we bring to relationship. And for that reason, we want to be somebody to someone. Now, what's the problem? And this is the middle part of the talk. What's the problem with being somebody to someone? And here I can think of two things. Number one, well, what happens when we're no longer needed? And there's a moment in any relationship where the other person no longer needs us. Well, what then? A mother gives birth, gives milk, gives warmth to her baby. But one day the baby will grow up and leave her. What then? A teacher gives wisdom, gives insight, gives mentorship to her student. But one day the student will become wiser than the teacher. What then? A husband gives intimacy, gives companionship, gives security to his wife. But what if she's smarter than you? What if she's more charming than you? What if she's got more friends than you? What if she's got the better paying job? What if her health is better than yours? What if you need her more than she needs you? Well, what then? Or for me there'll be a moment in my relationship where my wife will kill a cockroach by herself for the first time. She'll take a shoe and bam! And she'll realise she doesn't need me. I will be replaced by a shoe. What then? See, what happens when we're no longer needed? Where will our value, where will our worth be? C.S. Lewis says this is the flip side, this is the unfortunate flip side to gift love. We actually have a need to be needed. On the one hand, it's nice to know they need us, but on the other hand, it makes us insecure. We fear the other person's independence. And so we need to keep them needy. We create imaginary needs for them. We become controlling, smothering to keep them needing us. And if we're honest, we're actually not loving them now. We're using them to feel needed. But then we can say, well, shouldn't they just value me for who I am, regardless of what I bring or don't bring to the relationship? Shouldn't I just be valuable in their sight just for who I am? Well, this brings me to the second problem. What happens when they don't value us? See, we can keep trying to say, hey, I am somebody, but we can't force the other person to value us. 
When I was growing up, my mother tried to force culture on me and my brother. And once or twice, she'll take us to the opera house and try to show us culture. But my brother and I hated it. We used to say to her, do I, why, why do we have to go? It's so boring. And I used to literally just fall asleep just to show her how boring it was. And my poor mum was helpless. Here was this thing of value, culture, but she couldn't force us to value it. And it's the same with us. We are somebody and we should be valued just for who we are, but we can't force someone to value us. I have three boys. They're called uh, Toby, Cooper and Jonty. They're aged seven, five and three. And I'm in that really happy moment of fatherhood. I come home and my, bo- my boys think I'm a rock star. They see me, they run to me, they grab me and they're just chanting, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. But my friends warn me, this won't last. One day, they'll be ashamed of me. One day, they'll be embarrassed by what I wear. And one day, they won't talk to me. I'll have teenage conversation with them. I'll ask them, well, how was your day? And they'll say, don't know. I'll say, well, what did you do at school? And they'll say, nothing. And I'll say, well, where are you going tonight? Nowhere. See, there will be a day when my boys no longer respect me. They will no longer value me. And I can't force them to value me. And there may come a day when those we value won't value us back. And maybe that day has already come. Maybe our children are grown up and they just don't call or visit us. Maybe we've never ever heard our own dad say, I'm proud of you, I love you. Maybe we've married into a family that has never accepted us as one of theirs. Or maybe our loved one has declared they no longer love us back. And so no matter how much we protest, hey, I'm somebody, or try to prove we're somebody, we will never be somebody to that person, not valued, not missed, not appreciated, and in their eyes we're just blank. We're nothing, we're unnecessary, we're unwanted. And so that's the problems with being somebody to someone. What happens if we can't bring anything, and what happens if they don't value us anyway? So that brings me to the third part then of this talk. What does the Bible have to say about being somebody to someone? Well, to answer this, let's go back to that story that we just had read to us where Jesus meets a woman at the well. And we hear she's not just any woman, but she's a Samaritan woman. She's a cultural other. She's a religious other. She's the opposite of somebody. She's a nobody. And we hear that she's had five husbands, and now the man she's with is not her husband. And maybe to our modern Western ears, we're thinking, oh, maybe she's serially unfaithful. She's been married to five men, and now she's living with another man. But to people in traditional, non-Western cultures, they hear this. They hear that she has been rejected by five husbands. And now she's with a man who will not commit to marrying her. He won't even dignify her by marrying her. He's just using her. Her men don't value her. Her men use her. And now she's been so shamed, she has to come in the middle of the day to get her water. And Jesus talks to her and Jesus offers her living water. So what can this story say about our question, well, am I somebody to someone? Well, from this story, we can say at least two things. Number one, 
We are somebody to God. See, Jesus values the woman. She's nobody in her culture, but she is somebody to Jesus. And in the same way, we are somebody to God. The God of the Bible cares about us, and we are somebody to him. And the Bible uses strong relational language to describe how we are somebody to God. God says, in the same way a child is somebody to a mother, that's what you're like to me. There's a verse in the Bible that says this, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast? Well, of course not. Can a mother have no compassion for the child that she bore? Well, of course not. And the Bible says, well, worst case scenario, even if she might forget, I won't forget you. God says, my love for you is stronger than that of a mother and a child. And then in the same way a friend is somebody to another friend, Jesus says this, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friend. And Jesus is saying, you know, a friend loves a friend so much, a friend might die for that friend. Well, Jesus, I will die for you. You are somebody to me. You are my friend. And then the Bible also says, in the same way a husband loves a wife, God loves us. And the Bible actually uses God as the model for the husbands. It says this in a verse, Husbands, love your wives in the same way Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the Bible uses strong relational language to show how we are somebody to God. Well, like a child to a mother, a friend to a friend, and a life partner to a spouse. But unlike these human relationships, it's not what we bring to the relationship, it's what God brings to the relationship. God gives us his son. God gives us life. God gives us his spirit. God gives us the status as being one of his children. We bring nothing to God, but God brings everything to the relationship so we can be somebody to him. See, the woman in the story, she brings nothing to Jesus, but Jesus brings her everything. He says, I've got living water, which I'm going to give you. Meaning, in the metaphors of the Bible, Jesus said, I will give you me, a relationship with me. I will give you my spirit, and I will give you eternal life. So that's the first thing we can learn from this story. In the same way the woman is somebody to Jesus, we are somebody to God without having to bring anything to the relationship. The second thing we learn is this. God gives us our value. It's not just that he values us. He is our value. This is our neighbour, Dario. He lives next door to my wife and me. And Dario plays bass guitar. And he's the bass guitarist for Jimmy Barnes. He's also the bass guitarist for many of Australia's top performers. John Stevens, The Baby Animals, Danny Marks Young. Now, if you don't know who these people are, that's because you're Asian. But to people into Aussie rock, these are big names from the 80s and 90s. And so Steph and I would go to these concerts to see Dario. And we're two little Asians going to the concert. The only two Asians. And we look hopelessly lost. So the authorities will always come up to us and say, hey, can we help you? And we say, well, we are friends of Dario. And bam, we get him. Just like that, free, no ticket. And Dario will even introduce us to the performers. And so for two little Asians, Steph and I feel very, very important. But our value doesn't come from us. Our value comes from knowing Dario personally. And it's the same with us and God. Our value comes from knowing God personally. See, this is what Jesus says to the woman. You know, whoever drinks this water, you know, you're going to thirst again. 
But if you drink the water I give, you will never thirst. And in the context of our question, I think what Jesus can be saying to us is this. Our normal human relationships will keep us thirsty because the other person won't value us the way they should. And we see this with a woman and her five husbands. And maybe we're like that with the son who no longer calls us. Or maybe the dad who never said, I'm proud of you. Or maybe the family that we married into. And our normal relationships will keep us thirsty because they rely on what we can bring to the relationship. And one day we are going to run out of things that we can bring to relationship. But Jesus, Jesus fills us by giving us living water, the value that we thirst for because we are somebody to him and he is our value. And this frees us up in our human relationships to be somebody to the others that we know. Even if they don't value us, even if they don't think or we think we've got anything we can bring to the relationship because we're already somebody to Jesus, we have all the value we need and we can be somebody to others as well. So am I somebody to someone? Well, we've seen why we want to do it because it means we bring something to a relationship and we have value in that relationship. But we've seen the problem is this. What if we run out of things to bring to a relationship and what if the other person doesn't value us anyway? And we've seen the Bible's solution is this. He gives us Jesus and we're somebody to Jesus. He values us and he is our value. By knowing Jesus personally, we have value. And because of that, we can just enjoy our human relationships just for what they are uh, because we already have all the value, worth and significance that we're looking for in our relationship with God. Now, my dad used to work as an x-ray doctor and he had a pile of leftover x-ray films. And so there's a company that will melt down your x-ray films and turn them into silver bars. And so my dad melted down all his x-ray films and we had 10 or 20 of these silver bars lying around our house. We had so many, we started using them as doorstops. And one day someone broke into our house and they stole useless things like old clothes, but they didn't take the silver bars. And I think it's because they didn't think they had any value. They were doorstops. And so there's a difference between perceived value and real value. These silver bars had a very low perceived value. They were doorstops. But they had a real value. They were silver bars. And it's the same with us. We might have a low perceived value, maybe in our own eyes, maybe in the eyes of others. We don't think we have any value. We bring nothing to relationship. But we have a real value, which comes from knowing Jesus personally. We are in God's image. We have God's spirit if we know Jesus. And God adopts us to be his children, his friends, his life partner. We are somebody to God And because of that, now we can be somebody to someone else. No matter how little they value us, no matter how little we bring, we already have all the real value we need because we are somebody to God, loved by God and somebody to God. And that's why we can be somebody to someone else as well. Russell. How will being valued by God change your life? What differences are you make? Okay, how will being valued by God change your life? What difference does that really make? I find really, really, really helpful the grid given us by Maslow, and many of us would have studied Maslow when in university. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So you remember the bottom layer is the foundational need, survival, food, warmth, shelter. 
the next need we have once we've got survival worked out is love and belonging. We all need a tribe, we need a community that we belong to. Once that one's sorted out, the next one we need is esteem, that we have value, that we have worth in our eyes and in the eyes of other people. And finally, if we achieve all that, Maslow says you get fulfilment, or he uses the word self-actualisation. I think the big struggle in life is, okay, especially in our privileged Western world, the survival thing's worked out. We had the food and the shelter and the warmth. Love and belonging is the tricky one, as we're seeing in today's talk. Uh, but esteem, how can we get the next one up? Esteem, do we look for it in our work? Will work give us esteem? But now we're asking work to do something more than what it's designed to do. Work can pay the bills, survival, maybe give, it, give us love and belonging. But can work really give us esteem, self-worth, importance? Are we wanting our family and relationships to do that for us? Well, now we're asking them to do something they're, they're not designed to do. So I'm asking my wife now to be the trophy wife, my family to be the trophy family, and now I'm using my family and relationships to give me worth. Now you're going to burn your relationships, you're going to burn yourself. So where can we get this value, this worth, this being somebody thing? Well, the Bible says this is a real legitimate human need. It agrees with Maslow. Bible says we get it not from work because he can't do it, not from money, he can't do it either, not from friends and family because now you're using them and they can't deliver it either, but from knowing God. And as we've heard from the talk, we are somebody to God. We are precious to him just for who we are and just for who what God brings to the relationship, not us. So we achieve that final need, like worth, importance, esteem. And so it get, helps us get through in life because work just becomes work for what it is. It gives me a job, it pays the bills, it gives me reason to get out of bed. Uh, my family, I can enjoy them just for what they are, a family. They don't, they don't have to give me my worth, and even I don't have to give me my worth. I don't have to now disappoint myself. I have God who can give me, give me all the status. So I can just enjoy things for what they are. I can enjoy the present just for what it is, not asking you to deliver the eternity that, that uh, only God can give me. Sure. Okay, where is God? How can I have a relationship with God? And the Bible, and I mentioned many, anal uses many analogies to describe God's relationship with us. It's like that of a friend, that of a mother and a child. Uh, that of a husband and a wife, and we might say, okay, there's a difference here, God. Your analogy breaks down because I can see, touch, and feel a child, my friends, and my spouse. Like They are physically present in a way you are not God. So how can we have a conversation? Well, we can obviously talk to God in, in, just by praying or talking out loud, and God hears us. But how do I hear God? Well, the Bible is very clear. God is actually a speaking God. He's not just a living God, not just a loving God, not just a personal God, but he's a God who speaks. And he speaks to us in many, many, many different ways. But one of the most clear and, and, and important ways is through the Bible. And one of the most ultimate ways was through Jesus. And you might say, but it's uh, still not like having a friend sitting next to me. Uh, God, where are you? And this is where the essence we understand what is the essence of a relationship. What is the essence of a relationship? The essence of a relationship is communication. It's of words. So when I go home tonight, uh, I will say to my wife, hi, how's your day? I love you. I'm here for you. And those words are the essence of the communication. And we can also flip it around. Sometimes in a relationship, um, the person is, might be, well, well, let me 
keep developing that. There was a while where um, I was living in America for studies for a few months and my wife was back in Australia for family reasons and we communicated through the word, through phone, through email, through Skype. And we would say we, we had the words, we had the communication we needed for a relationship to thrive. And you can even flip around there. The unhealthy relationship can be one where uh, a husband and wife are in the same room, but they're not talking to each other. They haven't talked to each other for years. And we say, wow, you know, you have the physical presence. You can see, you touch and feel each other, but they're not talking. And suddenly I realise, wow, the essence of the relationship isn't so much the physical presence, but the communication, the words. And that's why the Bible presents Jesus as the Word. He says the Word became flesh. So we can know God because he gives us his Word primarily through Jesus. Next question, Stephen, while I sure. How, how do we remember our real value and when, when we are bombarded by all the things that give us a perceived value at this time? Yeah, how, how can we remember our real value when we're bombarded by things that lower our perceived value. That's right. So, again, having the healthy distinction between perceived value versus real value. And teenagers face this all the time. Like, no matter how much you try to tell them, you have real value. You're a human being, you're a person. They're hearing from their peers through advertising. Now, you have a low perceived value because maybe you don't have the body type you want, you don't own the things you want, you're not, you're not having the leisure time you want. So, they... they through marketing, they always have a low perceived value. You always have to try to restore worth in them. You have a real value regardless of what you do, uh, uh, whatever you look like, whatever you own. You have real value. It's the same with us. Somehow we need a constant, constant reminder. And the Bible gives us our real value by, by, by giving us the story of Jesus. I think we constantly hear again and again, every day, every week, the story of Jesus, that this is amazing, that God loves you so much. He sent you his son. Uh, so you have a real value. You're so precious in God's eyes. He sent you his son so that God can know you. That, that's how valuable you are to God. Thanks. Um, this one, uh, we, are, we are somebody to God. It seems to be only for Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's more of a question. Sure. Um, so what about the, is it something that goes beyond just being Yes, yes. So how can I be somebody to God if I'm not a Christian? Well, it's one of those yes and no things. We have worth in God's eyes just because everyone, regardless whether they know God or do, or do not God, they have value to God because God says, you're in my image. And because that we have to treat, one of the big Christian truths is this, we have to treat everyone around us as precious, the whole sanctity of life thing, and, and of equal value to me, regardless of who their parents are, what their university degrees are, and what their bank balance is, because... They are in the image of God, and I am accountable to God for the way I treat people around me. So everyone is valuable to God, regardless of whether they know God personally or not, and we're held accountable for the way we treat people. And that's where we get a lot of our beliefs of human rights, uh, the need for, for equality as well. Uh, so it's very much based on that we're all equally valuable in God's eyes. But on the other hand, if we don't know God personally, it's like we miss out. We have the, on, on an even deeper value, and that is of knowing him Personally, it'd be like, um, well, you guys knowing Dario is now the bass guitarist of Jimmy Barnes versus me knowing Dario. Like, Dario, this is unbelievable. The, uh, one weekend, he was doing the edges on his lawn in, in his shorts and thongs with his whippersnipper, and he sees me trying to do my edges and said, Would you like me to use my whippersnipper to do your edges? And I thought, Oh, could you? 
And so he's doing the edges on my lawn. I thought, never my wildest dreams. What I thought one day, Jimmy Barnes' bass guitarist was going to do the edges on my lawn. But that's what you get by knowing Dario personally. It's the same. Like we have a privileged access to God if we know Jesus, if we trust him. And so we don't just know God as creator, king, and judge anymore. We now know him as father, as friend, as life partner. Sure. Can you follow Jesus and still feel lonely? Again, yes and no. Uh, see, just by having human relationships is no guarantee we won't feel lonely. One of the key motifs of the Bible is just how broken we are and we express that brokenness in the way we treat each other. So it's almost like all relationships are almost somehow doomed to some sort of dysfunctionality. So, no, so just by having friends and family around us, there's no guarantee we won't be lonely. But what the Bible does promise us is it finds a way to redeem those relationships because now we have God as the example of how to be a spouse, how to be a friend. Uh, so it tells husbands, hey, you better love your wives. Don't treat them the way you're treating them. Uh, because you have Jesus now as your model for how to treat your wife. So you've got to love her and treat her as someone of equal value. Uh, so we, our relationships can be redeemed in that sense. But also what the Bible gives us is even more relationships. Because Jesus has this amazing saying is, whatever you've had to leave for me, I will give you a hundred times in this life and the life to come. And he doesn't promise you riches. He promises you relationships. You're going to have more brothers, more sisters, more parents. In other words, by knowing Jesus, we end up knowing other people who know Jesus. And I guess we find that in, in meeting with other, other, other Christians. And again, they're not going to be perfect gatherings, and some of us might have been hurt by uh, uh, our history with churches in the past. But uh, the Bible, again, offers us a model for how to redeem those relationships as well. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city, or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.